0: Morning is going to be in John chapter 8 verses 12 to 20 and if you're using a Pew Bible that'll be on page 894 John 8:12 8, it says Again Jesus spoke to them saying You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word.
1: Let's pray together. Holy and righteous Father, it is a distinct honor and privilege to have the Bible on our laps and to hear from the Holy Spirit, who we trust will now come and proclaim this magnificent word in John chapter 8. And so we pray together as a church family that you would begin to open up hearts now, open up ears, open up eyes, let us see, let us hear, let us feel the glory and the beauty of who you are, Jesus, that you would be lifted high and magnified and that there would be a weight to this preaching, that there should be an all preaching, that we would feel not only a weight but a hunger for your word. Create that hunger in us now, Lord, we pray, and use me as a very weak vessel to accomplish that end for your glory, for your praise. You are awesome. You're you're incredible, God. We praise you and, and give you all of our hearts in full surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is no doubt about this fact. We live in an extremely dark world. Just this Thursday, James Holmes broke into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, as you know, and shot and killed 12 people, injuring another 58. And sadly, things like that are not nearly as surprising as they used to be because of the deep moral darkness of our society. And this darkness takes on many forms. But the terrifying thing about darkness is that man is diving deeper into it all the time. I mean, it's not like this trajectory is going in a more positive direction. It's getting worse all the time. Not only are we dark, but think about this. We're passionate about our darkness. The Bible says we like it. John 3.19 says the light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Man is, by his own appetites, pushing himself deeper and deeper into darkness. Think about this. A person starts with the darkness of sorrow. Maybe it's, it's just sin, basic sin. Maybe it's hopelessness or a purposelessness in life, loneliness, separation. And from there, from those emotions, they plunge themselves into the deeper darkness of an out of control life just trying to fix it somehow and they use things like illicit sex, drugs, alcohol abuse, spirit worship, or for some the despair is so great that they think the only way out is the darkness of suicide. Well, maybe you're not that bad you say, but I can promise you one thing you understand darkness. You know what it's like to think dark thoughts and to do dark things. You too have some secrets, don't you? The truth is we all need help. We, we are not meant to navigate this world in this darkened world without Jesus. And so this morning we come to get some help. And thankfully we can breathe a sigh of relief because today we're gonna take our darkness into the light of John chapter eight and get some help. John eight twelve is a remarkable text of scripture. In it, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, one of the things that I love about the Bible is the fact that when you read it, you don't always see stories of perfect people doing perfect things all the time that when you read it, actually you see stories of deeply flawed people who struggled through life just as we do. The pages of the Bible are stained with the realities of life. The story of the Bible is messy, even shocking at times. You read certain passages, you say, what's that doing in the Bible? I mean, are you serious? You mean King David actually did that? That guy did that? That that woman did? Are you serious? And and here's the reason why the Bible's like that. God designed the Bible to speak into the painful realities of a world where real people struggle with real darkness and pain and problems. And here's the hope of it all. The honesty of the Bible welcomes us to be real about ourselves and the world we live in. We are a broken people. We're a broken society. We're a broken church and we all need healing and restoration. Well, John 8 gives us that help because in the midst of darkness and despair, Jesus steps onto the scene here and he preaches the very message we need. In fact, it says in verse 30 that as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. You know what? That's why I'm preaching this sermon is that while I'm preaching about Jesus, the light of the world, that many will believe in him. And I'm praying that God would bring faith to you even this morning as you hear. If you're just joining us as a visitor or a guest, I want you to know that we're going through a series right now entitled, uh, The I Am Sayings of Jesus. We're looking at the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And actually that's a very central question in the book of John in john's gospel in fact it's the main focus of the book and he confirms jesus confirms his identity by giving us a series of pronouncements about who he is and today we come to his bold assertion that i am the light the light of the world so here's what i want to do with you this morning i want to look at this text and ask three questions who is jesus why did he come and how should we respond to him Who's Jesus? Why did he come? And how should we respond to him? So who is Jesus? Well, in order to answer that question, what we need to do is we need to get a hold of the context here that Jesus is speaking. Because you can't feel the weight of Jesus' words when he says, I am the light of the world, unless you kind of understand in what context did he speak them. So when we drop into John chapter 8, what we find is that Jesus is at a massive celebration, Um, he's at the biggest party Israel had throughout the year. And it was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was, it was to remember the great Exodus event where God rescued his people from their slavery to Egypt and he led them into the promised land. It was a celebration of how God guided them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so when the people gathered for the Feast of Tabernacles, Every family would show up and sort of build their own little booth and they would live there outside of Jerusalem and, and they would build their booth. And, and, and these booths had a hole in the ceiling so you could look up and that was to symbolize uh, seeing the pillar of fire by night. And, and, and just imagine for a second, a big, massive Christian conference that you go to every year. Okay. There's excitement there. There's energy there. The kids are playing around. The kids are excited to see their other friends that they haven't seen in months. There's a lot of energy at the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, this is what's happening. All the people of Israel coming together in one spot and beginning to celebrate this massive event. There's just energy and excitement in the air. And, and what they're celebrating was that once they were a people without a land, once they were a people wandering around in the wilderness, living in temporary shelters, but now, now they are a people who have been delivered by God into a new land. So it's a significant moment for them. And, and so the people are very excited. And the way they celebrated that was with lights. Sounds strange, doesn't it? There's a, there's a festival in India that's about color and paint and they just throw paint and color everywhere. And that seems weird to us because we're not used to celebrations like that. And light, why, how do you celebrate with light? Well, today, light's not really much of a celebration because we have it everywhere. But then in that society, light is, was scarce. It was hard to find. They would have to light a candle. And so to have a massive light celebration was was big. And so on the last night of the festival, they all gathered around the temple and they erected these massive candelabras, which is basically large pots of oil that were sort of lifted very high, higher even than the ceiling of this room. And, and they, they, would, they would erect these huge candles filled with oil and they were enormous. Now, just imagine that you're living in a city with no lights, it's so dark that you can't even see your own hand in front of your face, there's no electricity, it's that dark. And so they go and they light these candelabras and the flames were so large and big that they would shoot up into the heavens and they would illuminate the whole temple. And, and in fact, it was said that historians say that when this event occurred, you could actually see the light for miles away. It was so big. Now with that in mind, think about Jesus here in John 8. All right. Jesus walks onto the scene in the middle of this ceremony, and he walks into the temple court on that night during this massive celebrations, and after the candles were lit, he begins preaching. Jesus is street preaching at a Jewish celebration. That's what he's doing. Jesus takes the mic, so to speak, and he... he, he grabs the biggest, most symbolic part of the festival, and he says, you know what? I'm the point of that. Jesus is saying, you're seeing the blaze of the temple light piercing the darkness of the night, but you need to know that I am the light of the world. And for the man who follows me, there will not only be light for one exciting night, but for all the days of his life. "'The light in the temple is brilliant, "'but in the end it will flicker and die, "'but I in the light that lasts forever.'" What, what a statement. What, what a moment this is for Jesus. And, and friends, listen, this statement of Jesus is just as true today as it was then. Jesus is no less the light of the world today as he was then But this should not come as a surprise to us, should it? I mean, because if you've been reading the gospel of John, if you go to chapter one, verse four, we see that it says, speaking of Jesus, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Then again, in verse nine, we read the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world do you see what this means? By calling himself the light of the world, Jesus is saying that in the midst of a dark world, you need light. In the midst of a sin-cursed world, you, my friends, are ill-prepared to face the judgment of God. You stand in need of salvation, and that includes everyone. That includes all of us. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're slave or free, whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian or Hindu or Muslim, whatever you are, all men need Jesus. And so the question is, do you have him? Is he yours? Have you confessed your utter inability to save yourself from the darkness within. Do you agree with Jesus that he's it? That, that he is your only hope? We can't save ourselves. We, we are not good enough. We're not righteous enough. There, there's nowhere else to turn. N- no one else died for you. No one else suffered in your place and paid for your sin do you believe? Who else died for you? Who paid for your sin? If it's not Jesus, then who? And then how? And if Jesus didn't do it, then how is your sin going to be paid for? You see, what Jesus is doing for us this morning at Heritage Baptist Church on this Sunday morning is that Jesus is proclaiming to us today a gospel of deliverance. He is saying anyone who wants to be delivered from their sin and have peace with God can have it today. They just need to hear my words, believe them and follow me. And he not only proclaims good news, but he gives real benefits to everyone who follows him as the light of the world. What a beautiful savior he is. Think about what he does. To the ignorant, he gives wisdom. To the impure, he gives holiness. To those in sadness, he gives gladness. To those in mourning, he gives rejoicing. To those in despair, he gives He gives hope to those broken and ruined. He gives healing and restoration. I I don't care what your deepest, biggest, hardest struggle is right now in life. Jesus can meet that. He can meet that. You came here this morning and you have had the worst week of your life. You, you are broken. You are, you are depressed. You are in despair. Jesus is saying to you, I can meet that darkest need today because I am the light. Oh, people of God, take hope. Don't you love him? Isn't he great? Now let's dig a little deeper here and, and look at this metaphor of light that Jesus uses to describe himself. What does it mean? What is light? What is light? Well, if you think about it, it, it light is both wonderful and, dang, and dangerous. It's two things. It's wonderful and dangerous. And here's, here's what I mean by that. It's wonderful because light is the most basic source of life. I mean, if we didn't have the sun, we would all freeze and die. I mean, if the, even you think of a sci-fi movie, even if the sun sort of went behind the clouds for a couple of years, we would die. We, we have to have sunlight. But, but light is also dangerous because if light comes to us unmediated, we would die because it would be too intense. Light is every bit as dangerous as it is wonderful because if it comes to us without protection or without a covering, we will die. Pure, unadulterated sunlight without protection is deadly. Deadly. If there, if there weren't an ozone layer, we would all die. So this same thing is true with God. No one can stand in the presence of God without a mediator. Without protection, without covering, we would be consumed by God in a moment. And that's what Jesus does. He is the only mediator between God and man. He allows us to stand before God and to come into his presence without being consumed. Jesus is mediated light. God is light. And God comes to us in the person of Jesus as the light in such a way that we are saved by it instead of being consumed by it. Jesus has within him the holiness, the fire of holiness, and the power, and the light, and the intensity of that light to destroy you in a moment. But instead, Jesus comes to you as a savior, not as a destroyer. How kind is our God? So light is both wonderful and dangerous. If you try to come to God or approach him without Jesus, you will be consumed And utterly destroyed. And and one day, every person will stand in God's presence. And if you're not clothed with the asbestos covering of Christ's righteousness, the fire of God's holiness will consume you. So, in short, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, I think he's saying at least four things. Number one, Jesus is saying, I'm the only light for the world. See, Jesus is saying I'm not a light. I am the light. It's either Jesus or it's darkness. It's either me or it's total pitch darkness. Light isn't found in other places. So what Jesus is saying is I'm the exclusive light. It's not that there's not truth in other places. Of course, there's truth in other places. But as the light of the world as the way to heaven, Jesus is the exclusive light. Number two, Jesus saying that the world, this is a simple thought, but Jesus saying the world stands in need of light, isn't he? I mean, if he's the light of the world, then presumably the world needs light. It's an obvious thought. This is a dark place. We need Jesus. And what, what it means though, is, is that you don't have enough light in yourself to sort of figure your life out. That, that's a humbling thought. I can't make it on my own. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the light. I don't have the I I, I don't have the guidance I need. I can't figure this out. I need Jesus' light. Number three, I think Jesus is saying that if since he's the light of the world, all creation revolves around me. I mean, think about this. The, the world was made for this light. And that means Jesus is the center of creation, which means. His light is the point of the human race. Jesus is the essence, the point of the human race. Without his presence and without his light, we are left in a dark and purposeless world. And so number four, I think Jesus is saying that one day his light will take over the world. As long as light exists, darkness cannot overcome it. That's what 1 John 1, nine is all about, or 1 John 1, five. But since Jesus is here forever, that means that ultimately darkness will be defeated. Uh, 1 John 3.8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the purpose, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason he appeared. So eventually the light of Jesus will eliminate all darkness from the world. Praise God. What, what a comforting and encouraging thought. But sobering is this, is that friends, that's why hell is referred to as the outer darkness. Because there will be no light there. It will be utterly dark. If you reject the light, you will not only be left in darkness, but someday you will be cast into a level of darkness that you cannot Imagine. And that's why God describes hell as the outer, outer darkness. So that's who Jesus is. Now, why did he come? Why did he come? Well, the text is clear. It says, he came so that we will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, so there's two things there. Not walk in darkness and have the light of life. One's negative, one's positive. The first thing he says is that we will not walk in darkness. The great thing about this text is that it comes to us in the midst of darkness. Uh, Just look down at your Bibles there. If you look carefully, you'll notice that both before verse 12 and after verse 12, you see darkness and brokenness. Look at the context. For example, at the beginning of chapter 8, what we have is an adulterous woman standing before Jesus in all of her sin, in all of her brokenness, in all of her misery. And at the end of chapter eight, what we have is a group of deceived, self-righteous, Jesus-rejecting Pharisees. And then if you go to chapter nine, at the very beginning of chapter nine, we have a blind man who can't see, which is another form of darkness. But in each case, The need is the same, light. Whether you're a Pharisee and deceived in the error of your ways or whether you're an adulterous woman living in immorality or whether you are a blind man who physically can't see, which is to be a metaphor of his spiritual need to see. All of us need light. And I think that structure is intentional. You see, what God is doing is he's placing the darkest of human experiences right next to his white hot truth and light and by doing that he's saying that friends you don't have to deny reality anymore and that's what we need to hear this morning you don't have to pretend that this world is not broken you don't have to live in denial or you don't have to act like your life isn't messed up if it's really messed up you don't have to act like your marriage isn't broken when it's a when it's a wreck You can come clean. You don't have to try to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You can simply come as you are with all your fear, with all your hopelessness, despair, hatred, hostility, perversion, arrogance, anger, pain, and the sorrow of your life. Because there is nothing too dark that the light of Jesus cannot expose and dispel. That's what hope for us this morning. If you're a Christian and you're saying, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm struggling with sin. The light of Jesus wants to expose that. He wants to expose it and dispel it. And there's hope for you. Jesus came so that we would not walk in darkness. Walk is a progress. When you're walking, you're, you're going somewhere. And Jesus wants us to walk in the light, not in the darkness. And so church, what does it mean for us? Well, let me say a word to those who may be going through some deep struggle uh, as believers. I have to think in a room this size with this many people that there has to be some of you who are caught right now in some destructive pattern of behavior. And so some maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a pattern of life. It's a lifestyle that's crushing you. And if so, that I pray that what you'll do is that today you'll lay that sin and that you'll lay that struggle before Jesus. See, one of the things the word of God does is that it teaches us that it's possible to be honest about ourselves and hopeful at the same time. But dishonesty is never a pathway to hope. If you cover up, if you deny, you'll never get hope that way. Come to Jesus because in him, honesty and hope meet. I don't know what it is. I don't know what sin it is that you're struggling with, but I know this, that that sin, if you're a Christian, does not have mastery over you. It doesn't. You have a new power at work within you. So friend, come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. And when you do, you will see that no sin is too dark, is too shocking, is too difficult, or too twisted for God to wrap his arms of grace and redemption around. I pray that God would release some of you from deep patterns and cycles of sin. Well, that's the first reason that Jesus came, so that we will not walk in darkness. But secondly, Jesus came so that we will have the light of life. Now, what do you think that phrase means, the light of life? Well, there's a couple of ways to understand it. And I think that's intentional because there seems to be a double meaning intended let me explain. The first way to read that phrase is like this. Jesus came so that we would not only walk in darkness, but so that we would have the light which produces life. So the light of life means the light which leads to life or produces life. And in that, this makes good sense because John 10.10 10 says, Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the fullest. So that's the purpose for him coming. The light produces life. Psalm 27, one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Those things are linked. In other words, he is the light which leads to our salvation. What that means is you can't be saved without light. That is without knowledge of God and God is light. And that knowledge and that light leads us to salvation. This is what the light does. This is the purpose of the light. It helps us find our way. And the light helps us find our way by doing two things. One, it exposes the darkness for what it is. And two, it dispels the darkness. I had a pastor tell me one time, actually the, the, the pastor, the man who preached my wedding ceremony, he's been a mentor and a friend, Thomas Poniker. And he said to me one time in a really dark season of my life, I was talking to him and I was so discouraged. I felt like God was so distant and so far from me. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't feel or sense or know God's presence. And I just told him, I feel dark. It just feels dark. It feels like the lights are off spiritually. And I just don't know what to do, Thomas. And he looked at me and he asked me this question, said, he calls me John. He said, John, how, uh, how fast does darkness travel? It's not really a question I've been asked before. How fast does darkness travel? How fast does it travel, Thomas? He said, the speed of light. And he encouraged me to get into the light. Get under the word of God. Get into the fellowship of believers. Get around Christians that are on fire for God. You're living in darkness. You feel the darkness. It's crushing you. It's all around you. Get into the light that's what we need. We need the light, the radiance of his presence. So light exposes the darkness and it dispels the darkness. And friends, you can't experience the life that Jesus Christ offers you until the light first exposes who you really are. This is why we say around here that you can't get saved until you first get lost. You have to know that you are lost. You have to know that you're in need of Christ and and you can't be rescued out of a pattern of sin and despair as a Christian unless you're first exposed to the fact that you have a problem. That you need the light to expose that. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. John sixteen eight says, The Spirit has come into the world to show the people of this world the truth about sin. Isn't that great? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's showing us the truth about sin. John six sixty three says, It is the Spirit who gives life. So Jesus is our life, and we have that life by the work of the Spirit. And the good news for us is that there is no darkness in any human being that the gospel can't get to. There's no place where the light of Jesus can't reach. There's no sin so dark or deep that the light of Christ cannot penetrate. When you dwell in the light, what you'll see is that sin offers suffering, sadness, shame, and slavery. But you'll see at the same time that what Jesus offers is hope, healing, forgiveness, life, and love. So that's the first thing I think this phrase means, the light of life, the light which produces life. Second thing I think it means is, very simply, is that having the light of life is that Jesus is our life. Let me say it another way. To have the light of life means to have the light which is life. Okay. So as you know, Jesus already referred to himself as the light. Okay. He says right here, I am the light of the world. So if you have the light, then you have the life because he's the light of life. Jesus is the, is not only the light, but what he's saying here is that he's the life. Okay, so very simply, for us, that means Jesus is life to us. He is everything. He's absolutely everything. And that has massive implications for how we live our lives. Because when we follow Jesus, we don't just get a thing called life. We get a person called light. That's big. That's big for us. In other words, we don't just get life. We get God himself. God is the greatest gift. Not, not just being free from sin, not just being saved from hell. God is giving us himself. We get the light, which is life. That's what he's saying here. So this means that Jesus isn't just a means to life. He is life. And this is taught very clearly in John 1, 4, which says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So that's clear. One old preacher put it like this. He said, God has given us not just a map, but a guide. And a guide is better than a map. Isn't that true? See, there's a big difference between knowing where to go or being told where to go and having a guide take you there. And we have a person with us. What comfort this is. Oh, friends, we have with us, right beside us, in us, the light of life. So don't fear tomorrow. Don't fear where you will go tomorrow or how you will get there because God is with you. After all, his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. How encouraging is this? He never leaves us or forsakes us. There there is no night in the Christian life. You don't understand this until you become a Christian, but when you become a Christian, you realize that truly and deeply there is no night in the Christian life. He is a constant source of light. Sure, of course, difficult times will come for the Christian, sad times and hard times and even dark times. But listen, that darkness will never be absolute for the Christian anymore. There will always be light. I don't care what season of life you go through. God forbid, but if you lose a child, if you lose a spouse or a loved one, whatever the darkest season of your life is, if you have Jesus, it's not pitch black. There's always light. Praise God. There's always hope. It's never pitch black anymore. And some of you, dear friends, you don't understand this because you've not come to the light. And I fear for you because if you go through such a tragic thing as the loss of a loved one or a spouse or a child, you won't have light with you. What will you do? Oh, don't go through life that way. What an encouraging thing that Jesus is always with us. I love the statement in Psalm 112 verse 4 light dawns in darkness for those who are upright isn't that great light dawns in darkness for the upright well that leaves us with our last point and the shortest how should you respond to jesus okay we've seen who he is we've seen what he's come to do so how should you respond to him well do what the text says follow him. All we have to do is follow him. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Christian life is really quite simple, isn't it? At the end of the day, it boils down to this. Follow Jesus. Trust him. Obey him. Just do what he tells you to do. Just say what he tells you to say. Follow Jesus. That's it. That's it. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. So believe in him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but come. And if you're a believer, how should you respond to this? Well, the same way. Trust him. Follow him. Obey him. Do what he tells you to do. Say what he tells you to say. Go where he tells you to go. Just enjoy the process of doing what he asks you to do. He's a good guide. He's faithful. Follow him. Christ is giving himself. So to follow Christ, what that means is we are giving ourselves, our body, our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to walk in the light. And Jesus says, whoever follows me will have the light of life. Now, I like that because it, 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 it signifies possession. Possession. It means we have the light of life. We carry it with us. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We are lights because Jesus is light. And again, in Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Incredible. Or, or Philippians 2, 15, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what does that mean? That means you in your seat right now, you have light with you. You possess light. You're a light bearer. When people look at you, they should see light because you're in union with Jesus and he is the light. So you are light and you're reflecting his light. So you have light now, but here's, here's the great thing. There's more. We're told in the book of Revelation that on the new earth, there will be no temple in that city because the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the lamb. And then it says, listen to this. Then it says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. And Revelation 22 says, we will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will shine on us. Which means you not only have light now, you're going to have it someday. And it's going to be the glory of God shining radiantly on us. How awesome is God that he doesn't need the sun to, to declare light in this world. That in heaven someday on the new earth, that God's light will be himself and his shining glory. What an awesome God we serve. Who dares stand before that God? Who dares boldly approach him without the covering of Christ's righteousness? If God's light will be the very light of heaven and sun will be no more, how do you think you'll be able to stand in front of that light without Jesus's covering? I tell you, friend, you will not. You will not. But as Christians, we will stand there we will get to see the face of Jesus. What a day that will be when we look on his radiant face. I, I, I cannot imagine. It's, it's in the Old Testament, we think of Moses. Who God says, show me your glory, God. And, and God says, I can't. You can't look on me. God says, well, I'll, I'll let my backside pass by you, and you, you can see my glory But someday, do you realize with unveiled faces, with unveiled faces, we're going to be able to look on our God. We're we're just going to melt. We're We're not going to be able to contain it, friends. So let me close where we started. This world's a dark place. That's a given. But it didn't used to be. Once it was beautiful, but it's been ruined by sin. Now think about it. It's a broken, desolate place. And that brokenness, let's confess, that brokenness affects us all. The fact is, we all stand in need of restoration, and here's how it works. I want you to be restored whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you are trusting in Jesus or not yet. I I want you to feel his redemption, his restoration, his healing. And here's how it works. God's spirit begins to reveal my brokenness. He begins to open my eyes to the condition of my heart, my selfishness, my greediness, my bitterness, my self-righteousness, my lust and anger. It's what the light does. He shows me for the first time that I am broken, that I need to be restored, that it's not just the world around me that's messed up. It's me, that I'm broken And then God works to put me in situations where I begin to experience and feel the brokenness of the world around me. Maybe it's financial crisis. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe it's a pattern of addiction. And maybe it's my neighbors whose life is in shambles. And when I see that, by God's grace, and for the first time, I begin to weep for me. And I begin to weep for the world around me. Here's the great thing, though. But God, in his kindness, in his kindness, that sadness and realization is harmonized with notes of joy and celebration. Because even though I realize that I'm terribly broken and my world is falling apart, I know that God has entered my life with his tools of restoration And suddenly there's hope for me and there's hope for the world. You know what? I've experienced incredible things in my short life. I have. I've seen the wonders of God's creation. I've lived for a few weeks in the rainforest of Peru, in the Amazon jungle. I've seen the majesty of the Andes Mountains. I have felt the breathtaking effect of the Grand Canyon. I've watched elephants graze in South India. I've watched them roam the wild. I've tasted food that when it hit my palate, I said there is no way food could taste that good. I've watched my son play with such pleasure at the simplest things of life and laugh with joy. I've felt the electricity of watching my bride walk down the aisle into my arms for life. I've enjoyed the beauty of marriage to a godly woman who's a fellow heir with me in the grace of life. I've worshipped God with other Christians for hours. In worship contexts that were so powerful you could hardly stand it. I've watched God draw sinners to himself right in front of my eyes. I've seen men fall on their faces before Christ because they felt God's love for the first time. Happened a few weeks ago. I've I've enjoyed these and many other pleasures in my short life. And listen, all of that was in a broken world. Can you believe that? Now, if all of that was just a shadow of what's to come, and it is, I can assure you, then what will a restored world free from sin and sorrow be like? Can you imagine? And what about your broken down world? Just imagine what's ahead of you. If you will simply entrust yourself to the God who made you, you know. You know that he's the father of mercies, right? You know that he's the God of all comfort, right? He is love. He is light. Do you know him? Do you want him? If you do, then come like William Sleeper did when he wrote this song. Here's what he said. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into the glorious, into the gladness and light. Jesus, I come into thy freedom. I come out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my want and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself. Jesus, I come out of my shameful failure and loss. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into the glorious gain of thy cross. Jesus, I come out of life's sorrows and into thy balm, Out of life's storms and into thy calm, out of distress and in jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come. Out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair in raptures above, out of fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, I come. Into the joy and light of thy throne, Jesus, I come. Out of the depths, of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to behold. Jesus, I come. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come. We believe very resolutely and firmly that you're our rock. And some in here in this room may have hit rock bottom. And I pray and I say with John Piper, who said it this week on Twitter, that when a person hits hits rock bottom, they may find that they've hit the rock of ages. And I pray that for you, for us, that you, the reality of who you are would be so deep and so real and tangible for us that we will step out of here and never be the same as we lean on the light of the world. In whose name we pray, amen.